This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. You're so much better at those intros than I am. Am I? I've had a lot of practice on it. I've probably done 300 plus of them now. (laughs) You've maybe done 25. Yeah. I just always choke. Like in the middle of it, I'm like, I'm I'm an idiot. I'm a dork. And and then I just stumble over it. it. I will say early on, I struggled because you'd be like, hey, I recorded this episode with this person. And here's the audio. And I'd get it and you'd be like, so what's going on over here? And then the person <laughs> would start talking and I'd be like, who is anybody? Who are you? Who are they? And then eventually you, like, I remember the first time you ever recorded a, hello, welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen. And I cried because I, I was like, my boy's finally grown up. He, he's done it. Okay. It was wonderful. I was he's very a, proud. He's a full grown mature adult. Exactly. Miles, I, I feel like we are wasting a little bit of time because I'm certainly waiting with bated breath. And I know that our listeners are as well. We got to know about these power lines in Egg Harbor. <laughs> well, we'll wait till the end of the podcast. Let's tease him. Right, After we'll, the we'll break. I don't know about you, Miles, but it's all I've been able to think about since the last time we recorded. <laughs> well, I did get several emails this week from people waiting to hear the word. So people are interested on in what they decide because I think so many people thought Fish Creek was a lost opportunity. So even if you're not part of Egg Harbor and living there, uh, I think a lot of people were invested in the decision. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into it. Uh, for people who didn't listen last week or are just hearing about this for the first time, Egg Harbor has their kind of big highway project going on. In doing this project, they have the opportunity to bury their power lines. And this is an opportunity that only comes up once every 50 years or something yeah, like that. Probably 30 is probably your best case scenario to do it. Right. So this is kind of a, hey, do we want to invest in the future of the town or do we want to, you know, the next 30 years are moot kind of thing. And uh, there's more to the highway construction project than just the power lines burying, but it is one of the biggest aesthetical things that you can do with it. It makes a huge difference. Um, Sister Bay buried theirs, Ephraim buried theirs. Uh, you mentioned Fish Creek. They elected to replace their power lines that had lead lines. They replaced them with these big black fiberglass power poles. She didn't need those. So Egg Harbor was kind of facing that same decision. And last time we spoke, they had set a meeting date to approve or deny it. How'd that go? Uh, that passed unanimously. There was one dissenting voice in the room. And I thought the board was pretty receptive to the concerns of the one voice. But I think it uh, the board saw it as the same no-brainer. All of the public correspondence they had, save for one, was in favor of bearing the power lines. Well, and, and let's talk about the pros and cons, right? Pros are pretty easy. It it makes an incredible difference in just the visuals of the town. You bury them, everything looks more open, looks like there's more space. You don't have the skyline, the upper portion of your view being obstructed by power lines, all that kind of stuff. Cons would be it's a lot more expensive yeah. to bury them. $2.3 million. There's a few green boxes throughout town, which when Sister Bay first did it, People are like, oh, I hate those green boxes. But over time, they blend in. You start planting some grasses and things around them, and they, you don't notice them that much. Uh, and I think most people in Sister Bay would say the cons of those green boxes far outweighed by the, the power lines. You're going to think this is silly, considering I'm 27 years old. But I'm just realizing that they buried the power lines in my neighborhood growing up because I remember those green boxes. There were two <laughs> of them. My neighbor had one, and then 
My friend down the street had one. Never knew what they were. Yeah, for. most new subdivisions and developments they bury power lines. That's just like a standard practice across the United States. So Church Street in Egg Harbor is a different looking street because it's just clear sight lines. There's no power lines because they're all buried. And if you look at all the subdivisions behind the Pickley Wiggly and Sister Bay by the Northern Joe Children's Center, you won't see power lines because they're all buried. Anything basically built in the last 25 years, maybe more than that, is going to have buried lines. Most suburbs, things like that. Yeah, I totally didn't even connect those dots until you had mentioned that dissenting voice the other day talking about having a green box in their yard. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, those were a thing. I used to just sit on them. I just put gifts in there and yeah. assuage the voters. You know, and it's funny that you mentioned that they're green boxes because uh, have you ever been to Disney World or Disneyland, Miles? I have not. So deprived. one thing that's really cool about Disney World in just their design of everything, everything from trash cans to power converters to anything that you wouldn't want to be like visible is painted in what's called no seum green. Hmm. It's a specific color that your eye that like no see um yep like no see them yep no see them your eye just kind of glances over them without noticing them so you never see the trash cans you never see anything that Disney doesn't want you to see that would ruin the illusion is, is that because that they color. put a chip in you when you get the vaccine yep it, it's specifically for that I spent yesterday working on a story unrelated to Egg Harbor about Fall Fest 75th anniversary and you had been working on a video about that and got a lot of historical photos. And of course, I went down like an hour and a half rabbit hole just looking at what Sister Bay used to look like. And I mean, honestly, it's kind of ugly. <laughs> I love small town charm. I love dive bars. I love junky stuff. That's what I grew up in. But yeah, I mean, it's a much more beautiful town today, even with all the development and all the things that have happened. Those the power lines through town were pretty, pretty big eyesores back in the 60s and 70s and all the way up and through the 90s. The one drawback is I think they didn't do enough work to A, consider how to put trees in to break up the concrete and the cars and traffic or preserve the ones that were there because they took down some that would have masked a lot of the things that people complain about in Sister Bay. And I still hope Egg Harbor does that. Right now they don't plan to. They plan to kind of clear cut everything. But I say make those engineers do some work. <laughs> yeah, you, you bring up Sister Bay and it's interesting because the only Sister Bay I know is new Sister Bay. Right. Yeah. The first year I was here, they had completely torn up everything to do the, the rebuild. So that was my first experience of Sister Bay. So when I hear people talking about like the door hotel and they're like, oh, the view is changed and this kind of stuff. I look back at those pictures from 40, 60 years ago and I'm like, oh, is that where the door hotel was? What was there before? Yeah. What was there? Before? The master freeze plant. Yeah. And that was. It's like a manufacturing storage facility. After that, it was the walkway shops, which. You know, it's at times we're nice, but for a lot of times we're kind of falling into disrepair. Yeah, it, it was kind of fascinating to look back and see gas station right on like the middle. How many gas stations were just in that strip? There were two gas stations on the corner of Mill and 42, kitty corner up from each other. Then there was a furniture store across from Al Johnson's that totally blocked the water view. The furniture store was still there. That building was still there until 2011 or 12. So it's... It's only a recent thing that we've actually done all those things to open up that view. Yeah. And just thinking about like, oh, it was so much better before when you couldn't see the water. You, you couldn't walk along the beach. You couldn't do yeah. this kind of stuff. When the and, whole waterfront belonged to somebody, so you couldn't go use it. Yeah. And and I don't blame people for thinking about this. We had, we had talked a little bit about this too, about how I feel that people remember things from their youth as being better than they were now. And I think it's not because things actually were better, but because they were kids 
and they didn't have stress or anxiety or they were just free to have fun. And yeah. so everything they did was like, oh, it was so fun because I was happy and having a good time. Yeah. The big stress was how long is, is mom and dad going to make me pick rocks in the field? How many chores am I going to have to do? And can I get some money for candy at Wittalison's Market? You know, that kind of thing. That's pretty minor stress. Yeah. So when you think back about the good old days, they were good because you were having fun. Not necessarily because the things you were doing or seeing were better than the things you can do or see now. Yeah. Just I, an interesting, I, I think that's an interesting observation. Yeah. Anything else on Egg Harbor's power line planting journey? <laughs> <laughs> no, they have. I mean, Egg Harbor is going to review the shipwreck proposal on August 23rd. People have heard that. We don't need to uh, go down that rabbit hole, but the plan commission will look at another conditional use permit for that development. You'll see solar panels going up at the Crest Pavilion later this month, which is pretty cool. And then this highway project, things will start to happen with Church Street and some of the other things in Egg Harbor later this fall. Sweet. So we'll be looking at a, a very different looking Egg Harbor next year, potentially. Yeah, hopefully not too different. Hopefully they get it right. <laughs> next up, I want to chat a little bit about room tax. And we've talked about room tax a lot on the podcast in different ways, both in terms of efforts to increase the amount of room tax we collect, but also in terms of like, what do the room tax numbers mean? Do we have room tax numbers for 2021 now? So the Door County Tourism Zone, if anyone really wants to nerd out on numbers, on their website, have monthly reporting. So it lags by about two months. So right now you have the reports from May. But those are really interesting right now because... Last year is not a fair comparison. So I wrote a story this week. I didn't even bother comparing it to 2020 because everything was closed in spring of 2020. But comparing it to 2019, things are up 69% in total revenue. Um, that means revenue that's going to the lodging owners. That means revenue to the municipalities for their 30% share. And that means more revenue for Destination Door County to market the county. Right. And, you know, it's interesting when we look back at 2020, I think the big question that we were always wondering about was like, what do the room tax numbers say about how many people are here compared to what we were experiencing with our eyes? And then also like, was there going to be uh, an interesting correlation between like room tax and sales tax last year, right? Because that would indicate potential day tripping, things like that. Maybe we felt like there were so many people up here because there were more day trippers. Room tax numbers might be down. Sales tax numbers might be up. Those types of things. And we did see that last year. In 2020, the room tax numbers were down, but only 7% for the year. Most of the decline was in that March, April, May period, which doesn't make up as big a portion of our overall returns. And you did see sales tax go up because everyone was doing home projects and People were trying to get homes on VRBO as quick as they could. So they were doing work. Everyone had time to do those things. So we had sales tax up. So now looking at 2021 through May, to me, the revenue, do the dollars are important. That tells you a story. The more interesting number to me is the number of nights filled because that gives you a better idea of how many people were here because the dollars can be affected by just like how much people are charging. So if people increase rates, that doesn't mean more people are here. So I have two questions. It's up, you said 7% from last year? Last year was down 7%. This year is up 69% over 2019. It's okay. up over 200% over last year. Okay, that's that was my, my big question and comparing it to 2019. 69% seems like a lot. I was gonna say, does that look like a natural progression from 2018, 2019, you know, so on and so forth? Because like, it is really hard to lump the data in from last year and this year together because of the pandemic. But that seems like a, a lot, actually. 69% is a lot. Now, those numbers through May are traditionally pretty small numbers for each town. So you'll bring in more returns in, in June than you would have the first five months of the year combined. So it's all relative. But the numbers were up so much 
that it more than made up for the drop in revenue in March through May of 2020. So not only did they make up for all that lost money, but then they made more on top of that. So that indicates that lodging owners, pocketbooks have recovered, at least for the June, things were down too. So there's still some work to do, but kind of broke even on last year's. And the municipalities have broken even on their the money they lost last year and Destination Door County has. So what is that anecdotally? What do you think that that tells you in terms of the type of people that are coming up or, or why numbers are so much higher? Well, I think it's still a clear reflection of people's aversion to, I mean, Door County is nice and a lot of people heard about it, right? Last year, because they came here when they'd never come before. But people aren't flying. They didn't go on spring break. They didn't go to Disney. They didn't go to Las Vegas. I shouldn't say didn't uh, on, on the whole, but like most people didn't. Yeah, you know, I was going to say people still definitely yeah. did all those things. But it's like there are hundreds of thousands of hotel rooms in cities like Las Vegas, Orlando, New York City, Mexico that have sat empty this year that no one's gone. Next year, people are going to go back to those. They're going to start filling them. Our numbers will not be up. I would be shocked if Door County's numbers for the first five months of this year are equaled next year. I would actually be shocked if they were even more than 10% up over 2019 levels next year, which would still be great because like Chad Kanako told me, you get a small bump in those early months of the year when you're normally just losing a lot of money. Now that makes enough. That's a few extra grand in your pocket. So you maybe only lose a little bit money, maybe even make money in the off season. So it's really important to the business owner that you have that little bump. 69% is probably not sustainable and it's probably long-term bad for what most people think of the county because you get up that much, it starts to look enticing for a, a chain restaurant to start making the numbers work out in Northern Door County. And I think probably something like 95% of people and visitors wouldn't want that. Yeah. Well, I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see what the summer numbers look like too in comparison to last year. Because last year's summer numbers were, were still considerable, weren't they? Yeah. July and August were pretty much dead even with the previous years. So right. we did fine in July and August last year in part because people raised their rates a lot, but in part because a lot of people were here. And you had the vacation rentals, so a lot of people moved over. You have seen an increase in the number of people going into vacation rentals versus lodging nights. Lodging nights are, are still pretty high. It's not like they plummeted. It's not like people aren't going to hotels. But there's a little bit of bite into that number from the Airbnbs. Because, like, you rent an Airbnb, get a house, maybe eight people stay in there. You rent a hotel room, maybe two, maybe if you have a kid or something, but probably two adults. So each Airbnb unit rented represents more people. And that's one other reason why, you know, the nights filled this year grew by, let's see, it went from 94,000 to 130,000. So 35,000 more lodging nights were filled in the first five months of the year than they were in the first five months last year. That's a really big number. That's a 30% jump. So that means a lot more people were milling about. And you saw it in the restaurants. You saw it in the sales tax numbers. Do you, do you think a big upswing in the spring lodging numbers are going to correlate to a big upswing in the summer ones? Or do you think it'll kind of even out? You know, Missy LaBelle at High Point Inn said something to me that you hear the discussion about over-tourism. You hear the complaints. You see it on Facebook. She said, I wonder if we'd even be having that discussion if we had enough staff. So if we had enough housing and enough staff, would everybody be so on edge? Would everybody be complaining about the number of people or could we handle it, you know, a little bit better? And it would, it would still be busy. It's still more people. But I don't know that July and August have been that much busier than the past. Um, maybe a little bit, but um, I, I'm going to be surprised if it's more than 10% up over 2019. Because yeah, we were I, pretty close to full. Right. And I, I don't think that it's been like wildly busy. I've had a couple of days this summer where I've been like, well, I can't park anywhere kind of things. Like I, I literally drove up to Sister Bay once 
to get lunch, could not find parking, drove around, like did three loops and then was like, I guess I'm going somewhere else. But that <laughs> you, was just once. You know what I do in Sister Bay? <laughs> Every Saturday I drive around and look at parking spaces and I count them because I'm a dork and uh, I want to drive my wife crazy. But I went two straight Saturdays at 1.30, the busiest time in Sister Bay, and throughout the downtown area within two blocks of 42, there were 57 open parking spaces, both on the street, on Miller Road, behind Birdo's. The parking is there within a block and a half, and generally almost any time. So again, that goes back to my pet peeve about like, don't spend all the infrastructure on like the 10 peak days a year. And then we're left with these parking lots and the stormwater runoff and all the problems and all the ugliness of it for the other 355. Yeah, but you know all the secret parking spots too. Yeah, and that's what the locals should use and let the tourists quit complaining about the other parking at the waterfront park. (laughs) Right. Employees, stop parking in the prime parking. Maybe walk to work or bike. Anything else about broom tax You don't want me to keep preaching about that? (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, we can talk about parking all day long and and we've spent hours on the podcast doing so, but is there anything else about room tax that we should cover while Uh, the iron is hot? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think we covered most of the key points in the story. You'll find some more data, more bullet points on like exactly where those revenues are up and what type of lodging is up. And that's going to be interesting to watch in July and August. Some of the motel owners I talked to, you know, they're, they're on the edge of losing a lot of staff. Husby's is about to lose a bunch of staff. Holiday Motel has operated with three people all summer because it wasn't worth it for them to try and train people. So they cut out some services. Wow. We've heard that from a lot of people. And Missy at the High Point Inn said, as of right now, they're not taking reservations for weekdays in October because they won't have the J1 help. They don't have what they would normally have. They normally have seven. They have three this year. And that's enough to just get by. And it's funny, you talk to every manager and most people I think would think, oh, a hotel manager of a sizable resort, maybe 50 rooms. They probably just sit in front of a computer all day and parse numbers and work on marketing. Every single person I called was in the midst of trying to do laundry, clean a room, check someone in do the grunt work because they don't have the people to do it. Yeah. You're saying that literally every single place that you go to, Mm -hmm. we don't have the staff. We don't have this kind of stuff. And I will say the situation up here is a little bit different than it is naturally because you're seeing, you know, you're seeing help wanted signs everywhere across the country. Yeah. But there's many different reasons for those, right? Mm -hmm. Wages are a huge part of it. That's not necessarily the case up here for a lot of places. I, I would be shocked if you were to call around and ask what starting wages are at places that are looking for help, I'd be shocked if you found more than a handful of people offering minimum wage. Oh, I don't know why anyone, I mean, you can 17 bucks an hour at McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, I mean, and that's, that's been the thing, like literally every single job that I've ever looked into applied for interviewed up here, starting wage was well above minimum wage. Yeah. So it's, it's a different situation. It's the same situation, but for different reasons up here. Good way to put it. And the next couple of months are going to be absolutely wild when students go back to college, J1 workers leave. It's going to be scary. Yeah. You're going to see a lot of people close more days, which, you know, some of the people I talked to expressed concern that, you know, this year we get these new people, different visitors than in the past, but now they're going to see things closed because they don't have enough staff. So they're not going to have the experience that they, they want to have. So hopefully we hook enough of those people. Three years ago, oh, Missy LaBelle had a great line. She goes, you know, all this talk of over tourism, it was only three years ago that everyone said flat is the new up because things were just about flat in 2018 over the previous year, just a little bit up. So it's like, hey, if we beat flat, we're doing great. That was huh. like the industry nationwide trend. So it's really funny. We were trying to, okay, how do we get that up a little bit? And now just... That one extra person apparently tips the scales up here. 
I guess so. Couple last things that I wanted to talk about just briefly to kind of round out our discussion today. Normally I'll pull like a couple of standout articles from the A&E section to tell you about, but this week the paper just really, really good. Like everything in the A&E section is fantastic. So I highly recommend people checking it out because there's tons of great photos, tons of great stories, cool bands, cool food, like really really outstanding this week yeah we're going into like the last couple of peak weeks this summer we struggle to get all the info in now right yeah sarah's got this great piece on the murals of the county that's what i wanted to bring up next too um if you've been in bailey's harbor you've seen the mural and you've heard people talking about what's going to happen to the mural after the town purchased the nelson's building and that kind of stuff but there's a ton of murals in door county like there's Another one in Bailey's Harbor that I can think of just off the top of my head over at, I think it's Jackalope Trading Company. Mm -hmm. That one was done by... I think Claire Erickson did one of the ones over there. Yep. Our spring cover girl for the magazine. Right. Like there's a a ton of them. Some of them are outdoor and public facing. Some of them are inside businesses. Some of them are inside like Door County Medical Center has a donor wall that Rebecca Carlton made. Just a ton of them. And Sarah did a big roundup of as many as she could find. And we got a lot of great photos from Rachel Lucas and put together like, hey, here's the story behind all of these incredible murals that you've seen. There's the two beautiful ones at the Door Community Auditorium representing the sea and the land of Door County um, that hang up in the lobby when you walk in, you got to crane your neck up to see them. And then there's one actually in the elementary gym at Gibraltar Elementary School. Oh, yeah. That covers the entire wall, floor to ceiling. And that was done back when I was in like fourth grade. And, you know, when you're a kid, you can barely pronounce mural. And like, I remember like, going, what are we doing? And then over time, scaffolding this artist in residence was, which whose name is escaping me right now, but I, I used to always know it off the top of my head. But you know, going, each of us in the class would help design part of that mural. It was like my first exposure to it. Yeah. Pretty cool that we can do that kind of thing in Door County. I don't know if all schools get that sort of thing. Right. Uh, and then the last thing that I wanted to mention, just kind of to round things out, I had the opportunity to tour Third Avenue Playworks the other day. Playhouse? No. Oh, yeah, that's right. They changed Play it. Playworks, yeah. It, it's been a slow... Because theaters up here feel like they have to change their name every 10 to 15 years or so. Is that a dig on... It's not a the, dig. The I'm heritage just like, ensemble Every time I get slash... used to something... It's like, well, we need a new name. Yeah. And I don't know what the impetus behind that usually is. They usually come up with a reason, but it's like there, people, there, people usually think a name is going to fix some problem. Yeah. there. I mean, there's definitely reasons for it. I talked to Amy Frank over there and she said that the change from Playhouse to Playworks was to better mirror the type of thing that they actually do mm-hmm. now, that they're not just a building, they're a company that's producing this kind of stuff. The name is semi-officially Third Avenue Playworks. If you look at the marquee, it said that since the marquee was reinstalled in spring, but most people don't realize that it's changed. Mm. Your eye just kind of glances over it. But I got a chance to go into the theater and see the renovation progress. I saw it when they had like stripped everything down to just the studs, and now they have all the walls up. It is amazing how much space they had in that theater that yeah. you would never know about. It's three stories. They have like three usable stories that they can have office space, rehearsal studios, place for the booth, like really great. And then the new stage is definitely bigger than their old stage, but not so big in that it fundamentally changes what you might expect to see there, right? Mm -hmm. Third Avenue Playhouse is really good about putting on smaller, more intimate shows. They're, They're not shy about doing one or two person shows. This stage will allow them to do bigger, more robust things, bigger musicals, that kind of thing. But all of the things that they've done before will look just at home on this Hmm. in the same way. Like it's really, really well done. They have a 
a scene shop for the first time so they can build sets and they have a green room for the actors, like a lot of new things that they didn't have before really going to change things up there in a, in a lot of cool ways. Very cool. I, I, I hope it's as cool as it was when I saw Jurassic Park sitting on the floor in a packed theater. You, you would love to know that the housing for the projector is still there. They kept oh, very that. cool. Yeah. They kept that. They kept some of the exposed walls inside the actual theater, the brick you can see. And you can actually see where the floor had been dropped over the years because they have different like, it's almost like archaeology in a way, looking back <laughs> over the layers. So a lot of historic stuff was kept, but the new space looks really cool too. And they're opening up and um, doing their first show in October. So oh, not too long before people will be able to go in and see everything all set up. Nice. Anything else that people should know about this week, Miles? I am good, Andrew. I think I spit out everything I need to. All right. I, I'm glad that you, you don't talk all week and you just save all of your thoughts for yeah. these 30-minute bursts. Yeah, that's of what it's podcast. like in the office. I keep my thoughts to myself. Right. Well, Miles, it was a pleasure to speak to you as always, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.